0: You're listening to All Things Video, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Ross McRae, co-founder and CEO of VideoAmp. Ross, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Nice to see you, man.
0: Yeah, likewise. Um, I got to tell everyone here at the outset, we knew each other back when I was a snotty-nosed kid just fresh out of college. Uh, but I want, you know, we'll get to all that. I want to tell that story. But before we do, let's zoom back even further in time and just tell us about, you know, you growing up. What was what was your childhood like? Because I know you were kind of attracted to business and entrepreneurship at a young age. So just, you know, where when did that all begin for you?
1: Yeah, uh, long time.
0: I mean, uh, I think I started doing some
1: hustling probably when I was in first grade, second grade, like slinging Oreos and Top rocks and, and uh, making money outside of kids lunch money instead of their, their hot lunches so it's it's always been a passion um but i think beyond kind of the little fun things here and there i think it really started properly about 16 and it's starting um starting to do things like web uh, website design and small agency and stuff and some kind of uh, personal hosting things and just evolved from there i've uh, done a lot of different stuff i believe uh, I counted about a month ago, or sorry, about a year ago. And I believe this is like my 43rd proper endeavor.
0: Wow. To be a yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So for everyone out there, you know, if at first you don't succeed, keep going. Yeah. It takes, yeah. Multiple attempts.
1: Yeah. I mean, one to one to like 40 were just massive failures.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. Anything, you know, from those early, uh, stories stand out any any uh, particular failures that you want to highlight that you learned a lot from?
1: Uh, no, it's just it's more so. Um, I think I think it's just about I think maybe rather than talking about the failures, the failures, I think it's more about the, the benefits have been just the learning lessons. And yeah, just sort of uh, I I was uh, really good at uh, accepting that this isn't working, my idea sucks you know, and figuring out how to cut bait early yeah. versus sort of the uh, tunnel vision down for a while. So a lot of different things uh, that I started for, you know, gave it a go, put some goals for three or four months, Uh huh. then hit it, cut bait, and go to the yeah. next.
0: There we go. Yeah. So what was your original fascination with computers and software development? How, how did you get attracted to that?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, it sort of just, became natural like of an attraction where I think back in two thousand like two ish um I don't know, just when I saw like my friend had a computer like oh, oh this is just really cool right like it's just I, I just thought it was cool, and um you know really, what happened is um uh, when I hit about sixth grade um long story short i i was uh homeschooled for middle school, but I went to normal public school for elementary and high school. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. And uh, I took my like natural passion of computers and just started to like, you know, mess around a lot and started uh, self-teaching myself different types of hacking and coding and different dynamics. And then it just got really excited, just fell in love with it and pretty much spent all my time doing that.
0: That's awesome. And then you started doing, you know, some agency work, some, some hustles and then after high school, you know, you were accepted to go to UCLA, and you studied what math and astrophysics. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, I did that, and i ended up dropping out.
1: Um, you know, interestingly, I went back like three or four times though mm-hmm. um, to get like the good grant money because uh, I, I, you know, that, that helped like pay the bills. So. Sure.
0: Yeah. Nice. Okay, but you just decided, hey, this isn't for me. I'm an entrepreneur. Like that's my passion. I gotta, I gotta be out there building businesses. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it was, um, yeah. I mean, the, the
1: first, the first like year I was there that I left, then, um, you know, a bunch of, bunch of failures, ran out of money, allowed, I should go back to school. Um, you know, got, got a, started going to the class, hated it again, kept trying some hustles, thought I was on to something, left school, lost my money again, went back to school, got some more aid, gave it a go. And then eventually I, I, I didn't go back.
0: Yeah. yeah. A- had you always considered yourself an entrepreneur? Is this just in your blood? Is it something that, you know, you got from your parents? What's the- No, definitely wasn't from my parents. Um,
1: like as in like they did it. Um, but they taught me to, I think, you know, uh, the different dynamics of how to be a high performer and different dynamics of sports and Mm-hmm. academics and they really cared about doing well in school and so I sort of taken that on and used that discipline to be an entrepreneur but I don't think I ever called myself an entrepreneur at a younger age now I identify with that but it was really more so of a like it was just a lot of fun just a lot of um didn't want to I hated the standard approach I just like hated the track of like someone telling me this is what you got to do when you go drive that yeah not, I don't really enjoy that so it just wasn't more of a uh, a, a necessity to make money be hated to just the, like monotonous, just day to day, follow someone and, you know, um, try to just uh, retire at 65. It just it never felt right.
0: Yeah. Awesome. So you and I met at a company called Channel Factory uh, and I, I remember immediately meeting you and you we kind of come from these different worlds right? these different disciplines. At the time, I was kind of leading the operations side of the business you were brought in to, to kind of lead the technology. Um, and though we were kind of from these different disciplines, I always remember like finding in you a bit of a kindred spirit, kind of like respecting the game, right, of like, okay, Ross is focused in this other area, but we just, we like- Yeah, likewise, a lot of likewise. And, Yeah, we, we felt in common. So yeah. um, in any event, how did you make your way to Channel Factory? How did you wind up there? You
1: know, uh, um, it was uh, the, my 42nd endeavor, and uh, I was living, in downtown LA at the time, and uh, I met Tony, who was the CEO, I, I believe, in a like in the community. He was my, it was like my, my neighbor, like in the community, like kind of like you know outdoor patio setting, etc. Sure. And uh, he was like, hey, you know, you're an engineer, right? I'm like, yeah. Why? He's like, well, I got these ideas and doing these things, like you know, um, you think you can help me out and try to find a way to optimize generating YouTube views and Uh, And they said uh, no, but I can probably figure it out. (laughs) Uh, And you know, gave it a go and did that, and you know, that was sort of my foray into the the advertising and media space.
0: Yeah, and so as someone who didn't have a background in that, I mean, equally, I didn't either. I was, as I said, just graduated from college, and 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 truthfully, I had just um, started there as an intern in my senior year, and had fully expected, you know, I'd accepted a job to go do business consulting in New York. I thought I was going to go work in corporate America and be a suit and all this stuff. Yeah, and then yeah. right near the end, yeah, they convinced me to stay. And I said, yeah, sure, <laughs> I'll, I'll take this crazy ride and do the whole startup thing. And uh, I mean, yeah. thank God I did. But um, it was not it was not the expected path. So I think we were both kind of new to media and entertainment and advertising. You know, how was your introduction to that? What did you do to say, okay, I'm going to figure this out. I'll get up to speed.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it just, uh, the, the beginning was just an opportunistic, you know, you, you, I mean, Try to, I mean, just to give some context, like I mean, I, I, I what I mean, a lot of things like I, from Christmas light installation to running heavy environmental equipment, to owning a trucking company, to an entertainment company, to a promotion company, to an event company, to a white labeling drop shipping company, to an arbitrage, Airbnb company. I, I mean, I, I can, you know, a lot of things, making physical <laughs> products, and putting it into Walmart, I mean, I I'm 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 forgetting some things too, right? So like I I did like trying different. It was just like, yeah, I'll figure out a, an industry. So it wasn't like a oh advertising fine. I'll figure it out. So it was sort of that natural keep trying to uh, find problems and the th- I found it very fascinating uh, the space and um, I just think that it was a good opportunity to come in and do something for a small period of time and uh, understand the industry and in doing that i learned a lot more about the space and you know really quickly realized how screwed up overall measurement was for the whole industry uh versus just trying to uh optimize a, a single channel like youtube I, I saw a lot of bigger problems in the space regarding uh the big questions that marketers wanted to answer
0: regarding Definitely.
1: where they should put their money and how it performed and so that was ultimately the uh the foray into me learning the space and starting to
0: yeah, yeah, that was, I guess, the initial inspiration, huh? So you noticed, the the initial thesis was there's this big difference between the way traditional television advertising is bought and sold versus what happens in digital, right? And obviously, digital offers the possibility of perfect measurement. And in TV, it's all kind of estimated. So how did you say, okay, clearly there's a gap here. We're going to tackle it. We're going to solve it.
1: Yeah, it, it, pretty much. And, and you know, uh, a, a large part of the the, the thing I... At. channel factory was and i don't remember a lot of this I, I i you know but like but but i believe it was um trying to convince the advertiser to spend more money on youtube because we were promoting that and driving that as a good channel and when they asked the objective question well how much money should i spend you know it's like more you know like I, I, I just just more because like i this i get paid and like i hook you up and it was a, just a relationship trip. Driven dynamic, I think most media sales are. And what what I found interesting was uh, putting myself in their shoes. Like, how do you really know if you're spending a billion dollars in brand marketing across all your channels? Like, everyone's telling you that you know their shit's just the best. But like, if you're in their shoes, how, how what do I put in a like, million dollars, ten million dollars, twenty million dollars? Do I stop? Like, what, and even if I do that, how do I optimize the mix inside of there? Like, there's certain so um, i just kept seeing that being the dilemma and i said well if, if i'm a cmo and a ceo of a large brand i would want an objective source that is accurate across all channels but it, linear tv as well as digital and social and um you know display video and how do i find a way to measure all of that so that i don't have to guess what's working um you know what's not working And I could actually try to have automated suggestions of what decisions that you can take next to 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 better produce the ROI. And so that that was the 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 journey.
0: Yeah, I joke that, you know, Nielsen and Comscore are the lie that everyone agreed to believe (laughs) which is you know (laughs) there's a little truth to that in that you know in the absence of measurement like you need some sort of standard and so this you know panel system estimation was the best that there was for traditional Yeah. yeah obviously that space has changed significantly in the past decade what are some of the greatest changes that you've observed
1: yeah i mean that this is this is our wheelhouse so I, I think it's important to start talking about privacy right now because it is the underlying um, foundation of all of this and so you know there's it's a very complex topic and a very hot topic right now and there are um with the advent of better data collection, so going beyond panels as you mentioned or someone literally writing filling up piece paper mailing it in and telling them what they watch, and looking at digital if you you know watching on your phone, you're watching it on your uh, your computer. Your uh, OGTs, like Roku, Apple TV, all that's internet connected and it has the ability and is logging like what you're watching, what you're doing on a, on a household or device level, and then so it's no longer a uh, a, a technological question regarding if you can get actual one to one data of who's watching what and learning those patterns, and you take that trend with the other trend of a large brands investing heavily into data management platform so they can onboard their first party data and use that. So a brand that might have a mobile app that people are buying direct to consumer, or, you know, whether you're having online signups or like a company like Disney plus, if you're downloading subscribers, who's converting, you have that rich data of who your customers are. You have a customer list. And and so you can match that with the actual consumption that's happening of who's exposed to your app on a one-to-one basis. And so, the technology now exists, which really didn't, um, you know, five, ten years ago. Uh, it's been a huge increase, like the smart TV and OTT, and, and you know, is, is, is so natural to us, but five to ten years ago, it, it didn't really happen. So, uh, well, and, and social media platforms started to blow up, too. So, all of this change allows it to truly go to a new standard of measurement. Now, the question becomes, do you have the right to do that? Do the consumers want you to do that? Do you, you know? And there's a probably two estates to think about. There's is the consumer properly notified, and are they opting in for you to use this data in that way? Mm-hmm. Question number one. And question number two is: if they are, are you doing the proper uh, uh, security and IT measures? and technological infrastructure measures to avoid bad actors and things like Cambridge Analytica happening, where if you do have data, could that be hacked? Can You get personal information, and could that be used in the wrong way that's not being used for the agreed upon use cases that the consumers said that, yes, I'll allow you to use it for this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. So those are the two different dynamics, and I think that that's come a long way, and I'm sure we'll get to this later in this discussion, but that, but that's the underlying question, is that it's, it's A and B, and if you have that, then all of the, measurement can
0: happen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've observed the same thing in our business, right? We're kind of in different worlds now, but focused on more of the influencer marketing software. Uh, you know, pre-Cambridge Analytica, just to draw maybe that line in the sand, yeah. would ask for unlimited permissions, right? They'd be like, we want access to your Facebook page and we're going to see who your friends are. We're going to get your phone number, we're yeah. your email address. We're going we're to have read and write privileges. And it's like, you know, that's not necessary for the core functions of the app, right? The app, you know, is designed for this very narrow use case and you're asking for this kind of unrestricted access to someone's social profile and all the data that goes with it. Uh, and there's been a big change. Obviously, the platforms had a role to play in doing better self-policing, but now moving more towards an ethos, and we've been a big part of this, is just saying like, we only ask for the permissions that we need, right? We're not gonna ask for right sure. permissions. It's yeah. only data access. We're not gonna ask for scopes of data that we don't need to have access to and you know that's been a big part of this movement towards respecting people's privacy
1: and i i love that and you know there's a the way that we look at it now is that it's 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 it's, it's truly a three-way value exchange between the consumer the publisher and the advertiser and you know a majority of free information on the internet or content on tv and the internet is fueled by advertising revenues Mm -hmm. and there's certainly a large increase of uh paywalls and uh subscription uh for premium content and i think that that will continue but still a large amount is not paid and a large amount of the us and the world can't afford or do not or choose not to pay for those services yeah so you know we we find it very important to keep the option of information to be free and content to be free for those that want it to be free. And and so if if you take that assumption, that that's an important thing, and that you should have free information and free content, then now the question is, how do you provide this value exchange? Because ultimately a publisher is producing content Mm -hmm. that's for free or or information. And there is this inherent agreement that you can get it for free as a consumer and you can enjoy that, you can watch that. But in return, I need to have an opportunity to monetize this audience hmm. and sell advertising, so I can pay for my operations to yeah. my content and drive for accordingly. And the the reality is, publishers are under siege right now. I mean, independent publishing and you know third party publishers. Mm-hmm. Uh, while there's there's been great enhancements, and I think the influencer market is a great example of like a really cool trend that like you know you can do that with these platforms, but uh it, it they're, they're not making a lot of money in general in the publishing market and um and the way that they're getting more money is to produce higher return on investment for the advertiser, mm-hmm. right and so better personalization a better probability of saying i'm going to put an ad in front of you that you're going to like mm-hmm. that has a higher chance of you to click and convert and to pay for that service and then therefore the advertisers like oh that's working i'm going to do more of that that's what fuels the, uh, this value exchange, though, I believe, uh, in our vision is that the, the, there should be a way to not have to have these negative consequences on usually the higher, the more personalization that you drive, the higher ROI that you give to advertisers and the ability to make more revenue on the publisher usually comes off with negative trade offs mm. for privacy or security. And I think that's a limiting belief. I think there are ways in the code base itself Hmm. that you can allow for mathematical guarantees for no bad actors to really govern in automation, what you can and cannot do and what you see that allows the consumer to have full control. They decide what needs to happen and if they want personalization and uh, and, and they want to support that, they have the option to do so.
0: That's really interesting. And is that a result of new technologies that are allowing the like yeah. blockchain? I mean, immediately comes to mind as a way. Yeah. To, yeah. yeah.
1: There, there, there's a variety. Um, so, for those that are technical, you know, there's like ways to share data. So, so, first of all, back to that bucket, you still need to have proper opt in and notification and the non obfuscation of what the hell's happening for consumers. It's so confusing still. And I think the move with, like, Apple iOS 14 coming in where it's like, hey, if you're going to be tracked across the Internet, yes or no, right? Like, like that, that, you know, uh, that, that's good, right? So, I think that's the good trend that's happening. Then there's a second part. So, like, that, just, you have to have that. Sure. And the second part is what comes into play. Because even if you have the consumer drive that, how do you make sure there's no bad actors and that you're not using the data for the wrong reasons, mm-hmm. even though they said yes? And so that's where technology comes into play. And so things like um, having the ability rather than shipping out data directly to someone to say, here you go, congrats, we signed a contract and I'm trusting you uh, because we signed a contract that you only do these things. Anyone can in theory say, yeah, yeah, and then take that and do whatever they want with it. So not shipping data out to a third party, having no visibility or governance on what's really happening, but actually providing read access for someone to query that data in the data owners environment not ever taking it out and putting restrictions on what you can and cannot query on the usual level mm-hmm. you can't take one-to-one data out you can't run this analysis you only limited it as an aggregate type of insights
0: yeah you anonymized. can,
1: only get, you yeah. can you, it not only anonymize but but you you're only getting out like okay uh, YouTube work really well, spend my money mm-hmm. on YouTube, you don't, you don't need to know the, what the perk, what an, an, even an anonymized ID,
0: mm-hmm. if
1: you take that and you combine it with other data, you eventually can figure out who that is.
0: Exactly. So yeah.
1: like, it's not about anonymization, it's about the ability to not have re-identification mm-hmm. and so, and so, and, and, and you don't need one-to-one, I don't need to know that one person did all of these things. You just need to know, am I spending more money or less money? Is it relevant? Is it working? You don't mm-hmm. need to know the underlying data. You can hide all of that. And 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 that's a huge way forward. Um, yeah, as, as an example of some technological, uh, um, you know, primitives.
0: For sure. And uh, coming back to the idea of the value exchange between the consumer or the viewer and then the advertiser and the publisher, because I think we both love thinking about these big structural issues in media. Um, that fundamentally has changed over the past generation, right? I'll call it a couple decades uh, because the internet by its very nature creates these sort of, you know, winner take most environments. And so for all that they've done to remove gatekeepers, you know, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world say, Hey, look at what we've done. We've made it possible for anyone to be a publisher now and they can create content and reach an audience and monetize. And yeah, that's awesome, right? We have this whole new class of creatives. We have uh, all this new, types of content and formats and niche audience segments that can now connect through the Internet than ever before. But at the same time, publishers have suffered. Right. You think about who were the bastions of information in our parents generation. It was CNN, The New York Times. Right. It was like all of these household names of media properties and publishers that now have been somewhat disintermediated from their audience by the Internet and the aggregators, the Facebooks, the Googles, the Amazons of the world. Have inserted themselves between the publishers and the audiences, and they stand to capture most of the value. Does that change, or or are we just kind of too far down this road? Good question. Um, I I don't,
1: you know, I don't um, I don't know if it changes anytime soon. Uh, I I I think that there's going to be more more consolidation. You know, for better or worse. Yeah, uh, I'm not. You know, uh, but but I. I. If you look at the if if you just take the data, I mean, what maybe 90 percent of all consumer attention is going to seven companies. Maybe. Yeah. A, yeah. A more? Like I don't know. You you. If you think about uh, like if you take out all like you know, so uh, I that that I don't see that trend reversing. And you know maybe look maybe regulation comes in to split some assets up. Okay, it goes from seven to ten. Like I I don't really see it as it ever going back anytime soon to uh, having one you know two thousand independent publishers that are generating an equal distribution. Um, I don't see that. Though I I do think you know you looking at these platforms like a YouTube. They're, they're, they're sort of, yes, it's a large place of concentration, but at least it's giving power back to um, independence to use it as a platform to generate value. And, and, and I know there's lots of, um, you know, complaints on systems like that in general, but at the same time, um, I think it's better than before.
0: Yeah, sure. Well, now you have more cries from Congress and other politicians saying there's going to be more regulation. We need to look at this. There's, there should be changes. Uh, do you think that? Uh, Congress should be looking at breaking up some of these big companies or or pursuing antitrust uh, proceedings, you know, and say, hey, in hindsight, we should have blocked the sale of Instagram to Facebook. Or, you know, should Microsoft be allowed to buy TikTok? Are, are these you know, questions that politicians should be wrestling with?
1: Uh, I, I think t- the, the real problem is the politicians have zero clue of what's going on. Yep. So I don't think they're at all qualified to even make decisions and I actually go as far as say that I don't even think there's tech experts anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is, I think you look at like, oh, you know, we have some CTO who is who, our tech expert who's going to advise us. Like, no way. Like, there's like, you need like 1000 different tech experts yep. to advise individual, like, it's no longer tech, it's no longer a like, oh I'm a, I'm a i'm a tech guy like you no you can be it, a
0: tech generalist it's too specific there's, there's there's no
1: there's no such thing whatsoever yeah um and there's there's 100 micro industries that you need to understand what's actually happening in all these different dynamics mm-hmm. to, to, to drive that so th- there's a bigger structural issue and um and, 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 and until you fix that nothing's ever going to get done i mean yeah. whether you should do it or not you know, I don't have a comment there. What I, what I do think would happen is that we should be properly educating ourselves about what's really happening because it's a
0: joke. Yeah, I agree. Well, I want to return to some of these thoughts around, you know, media and advertising space, but I thought we'd switch gears a little bit. I want to touch on uh, some of your other areas of interest, maybe outside the professional domain. One of which is, you know, we both share this love for efficiency and optimization. I know it's something you're constantly thinking about, especially even just personal habits. So, what are some of your favorite productivity hacks or things that you uh, you've, you know, assembled for yourself over the years? Yeah, no doubt. I love this.
1: I mean, the, uh, another reason why I started this company, right? Yeah. I'm so passionate about that. First of all, yep. So don't know where to start, man. Um, you know, there's there's. If I have to pick a, a few, you know, one of the things that I found very early, Uh, in a very early age is 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 time management and all that's like oh yeah of course but let me let me provide a specific tactic that that i that that i'm speaking about not some broad bullshit so when i was younger i i I would um you know talk to a lot of people and be like oh so what are you you know like like what are your goals oh i i want to uh i want to whether if it's sports i i I want to be a professional athlete or i want to go and i want to get this job and i want to go learn these skills and i want to they have, they have so much ambition. I wanted that. Like, oh wow, it's really great. Like, you have all you have all these goals and drive that. And um, and so uh, so how are you, you? know, how are you spending your time? Well, you know, I I uh, so like what do you mean? I'm like, like no no like, like so like walk me through yesterday, like hour by hour. What did you do? yesterday? Oh well, you know, I I, I woke up. Okay, what time? Uh, I woke up at nine a.m. and um, you know, I watched some TV and then I um. And then I went out and I uh, worked out for like an hour and then I came back and I had lunch and then uh I went to uh, I went to school for like you know four or five hours, I came back, I hang with my friends, I played some games, and uh you know I uh I knocked out some 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 emails and then I went out and I'm like, What are you what are you talking about? Like like well, what was all that? What? Like is it happening every day? They're like, Yeah, I'm like, holy shit, like no wonder. Like, okay, so I I think, I think the specific tactic is to, is to track your last 930 hours, like, you know, 31 days Mm -hmm. uh, and literally track how you're spending every hour and log it. And it, it, you, I, I've never seen that exercise go, um, so like, oh my God, I'm not, I'm completely not spending my time correctly. Mm -hmm. Uh, I spent 30 minutes in the fucking toilet. I, I like went out. I, I I took a walk I'm catching up all my friends from high school, and I'm like, oh, you know, how how's life? I'm like going to go see like my, my my friends, my my parents' friends for this thing. I, I committed to some some birthday party. It's like okay, like you just you just waste so much time. So yeah. I think so I think the fundamentals of actually tracking and being accountable to every mm-hmm. every hour that you're spending, grouping those hours in the categories, and going, wow, like I'm really not, you know, if you're not prior. Your priorities type is how you spend your time. Bottom line, yep. So whatever that you're doing to your time is going to drive that. And so, so that, that that's probably one one tactic that I think is fundamental to everything.
0: Cool. Yeah. Some of my other favorites are sleep hacking. Right. Like I have yeah. really studied my sleep over the years and yeah, understood, so, uh, you know, how long do I need to sleep for? What are the right conditions for sleep? Yeah. Um, and part of that is like understanding too when you can create a flow state. Right. Yeah. And so for me, it used to be late at night. Like I could just crush work from like 10 a.m. till 2 a.m.
1: I think I remember that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Which has changed as I've gotten older, in fact. Like I've become much more of a morning person. So I've had to change my habits and routines. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's yeah. just trying to find the ways. I take naps every day, too. I try to take at least a 15 or 20 minute nap. And part of that is just the rhythms of my sleep and how I recharge, um, which can like launch me into a second wave of productivity. You know yeah. typically in my evening but um yeah i am mostly too i thought about this
1: guy the loop band uh tracking hrv has been something that i like from a physical perspective that's, that's helped a lot um yeah. 66 degrees for sleep has been the has been the preference uh and yeah, as so part of that exercise actually came down to a lot of my sleeping and, and so i was like wow i'm spending a lot of time my day sleeping mm-hmm. and um i wasn't convinced that like eight to nine hours is The most optimal and so i've found a lot of ways from um from how you kind of wind down from Mm -hmm. uh from stretching and inner meditation or not uh looking at like blue light on your phones from like the last hour um and uh kind of finding the right mattress and 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 on a routine monday monday i don't i don't have a different wake-up schedule on the weekends like i am very consistent to the point where my body is optimized and I, I pretty much wake up most of the time, like within a few minutes of the alarm, like, yeah, me too, going off. And so, um, you know, all this helps. So I feel extremely high energy, uh, all day long. And, hmm. um, a the interesting thing is I actually have been experimented quite a bit over the last ten years and I have gone down to three hours. Hmm. Um, and I did that for about in the first year of video amp, I did that for about a year and I wake up at le- and, and um, the funny thing was uh, I got through the whole day fine, hmm. though I realized that my physical ability to perform and working out hmm. and building muscle was significantly reduced because hmm. of my time at sleep and when I would have less intensity because I was getting less stronger and less developed, the less intense workouts for me re- gave me less clarity hmm. in my day of my mental and like sharpness.
0: Ah, because so your body uh, needs that time to repair, right? Yeah. So sleep is... Yeah. So like,
1: it just was kind of all... So like, I optimized where I was completely high energy in the sense of like, I wasn't tired. I took no naps. I didn't have crashes and that shit. Yeah. So I noticed my mental agility and my speed and my decision-making capability of how fast and liquid i was Mm -hmm. dropped so um i I, you know now typically sleep about five and a half six hours Mm -hmm. um and i've been optimizing and trying to find those kind of variations and i feel like it's the right balance for me
0: yeah everybody's different right and like when you're younger you might need more sleep and then as you get older you find those rhythms for me it's about six and a half uh, which it, it kind of lines up with my rim cycles, but I did an experiment like that in college where I split my day kind of into two and I would sleep for about Three hours at night and then I would sleep for about three hours Kind okay. of in the late afternoon early evening and yeah. then I was just super productive and I felt great Right because I was I was still getting two deep rim cycles. I was just splitting them up into different parts of the day
1: Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah.
0: Well, another thing that I know you're uh, passionate about is this idea of work-life integration, right? The whole traditional no- notion of work-life balance kind of goes along with the whole like, okay, retire when you're 65, like stay on the traditional path, which I think you know we both said, you know, to hell with that. So, what what does work-life integration mean to you? What does that look like?
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, I I, I think the general guidance is a pile of horseshit. I I just. Uh, I, I, I want to have all the options. I, I don't want to feel that I have these constraints and that um, speaking of flow state like sometimes uh, um, things come to you, opportunities come and you have to take advantage of that and so sometimes it'll be like if, if I want to crank out, and go really hard at work for this week and I want to put in a hundred hours you know to, to try to get this done I'm in the flow like I'm gonna save my time save myself more time because I can crank this out and all the ideas are right here And you know things are happening um, like you put that time in but then at the same time looking about your personal and other expectations I want to have the ability to then um, if I want to take two days off or take a, you know, good stay with the family for a week. Like I want to have that flexibility. So it's really about optimizing to results versus, you know, it's really just like, are you optimizing the output or input? And, and so for me, the notion of harmony versus a balance is like, I just don't like the strict definition of balance. It just seems like it's a scale in my mind where it's like, you have these rigid rules and it's like nine to five is this, and then that is that. And I want to compartmentalize my life. I've, I've never seen anyone really be successful of like compartmentalizing in the sense of I have a really good work life and then, um, or, 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 sorry, I have a really bad day job and I go home and I'm totally happy. Like, you know, I just put that aside or I have a really great, or I have a really bad personal life and I go to work and that doesn't affect me at work. So for me, it's like, you need to, you need to have both fulfilled. You can't have one without the other and so they have to kind of help and be synergistic with one another. And you have to have that approach. And I don't think that you should have those walls be separated. So at video amp, a lot of what we do around health and fitness. and other ways. It's not for, to be clear, it's not for everyone. Some people find it very weird. Like, oh, I don't want to bring in my personal life into work. And that's, that's totally fine. And, but people that come to video amp, they're, they're, they're looking for, I want to work out. I want to push myself. I want to help my personal goals. I want you to know my personal mission and my, what I want to do in ten years, I don't want to not. I want you to help me get there faster. It's like cool. Like work is a fifty percent of the time. People usually are awake, you know, during the week. So like, uh, I want that to optimize my personal goals, my personal goals, to optimize my work goals, and I want more of everything. And so we found that if you're being holistic and that you're having harmony and you're integrating your personal goals with your work goals, your work with, with your family goals and you're setting expectations of what these things are going to do, we've seen that be very fulfilling.
0: Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And it's so easy to get caught up in one and and forget the other, right? So in the traditional model saying, uh, you know, oh, you get so caught up in work, and then you stop exercising, or, you know, you don't eat right, or whatever it is, your personal goals, you're not spending time for them. But if you you outline everything... uh, at the front, right? You say, These are my personal goals, these are my work goals, and then I have a holistic plan to accomplish them together. You make time for the big things, and then everything else kind of fills in.
1: I, I think so. Yeah. And it goes to another saying where I believe it's like, How you do one thing is how you do everything. And I, 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 believe, like, there are people out there that I would call A players. And my definition of A players are usually different than, than, than most. And, and it's, they don't, to be clear, they don't sacrifice anything. <laughs> like Their work life is going really well. Their personal life is going really well. Their, their you know, or, or I can even go further with their family life, them being a parent, them, them having the options or whatever they're into. They're having their hobbies, them uh, working on the health and fitness, physically, mentally, spiritually. Like th- there is, everything is a plan and it's optimized and there's no like, oh, I don't have time for that. They're, that's not an excuse that they take. And I've seen a lot of very high-performing, very busy founders and CEOs that are very good parents that work out every single day, that that have grown their spiritual life, to mental life, and have found the way to make it all happen. And It's very easy to just to come up with the oh, I'm too busy. Oh, I'm oh, I'm I I can't do that. And it's limiting beliefs, and people just have these natural they they they, they don't want to confront that that there's better ways to optimize. And it goes back to how you're spending your time. You know um, they don't have usually it's discipline and lack of self-awareness of what's actually happening and so uh, thinking big and letting people know like there are people that this to be clear people are doing this you're just not you're not you haven't figured it out yet and yeah. so reminding ourselves that this is very true and that um, this is possible you're just deciding not to do it is a very important first step
0: yeah so speaking of video amp, you know, what does the future hold? What are some of the things that you and the team are are working towards?
1: Yeah, so you know, we've now six and a half years into this into this journey. Which is crazy. The we're it's it's been first the first two years of just figuring out what the hell is going on, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, and and uh, lots of floundering, but but the last four years have been have been good for us. We've we've uh, we've successfully, I would say has embarked on the first part of our mission successfully. You know We work with a, a large amount of the Fortune 500 brands and majority of the agencies in the United States to give them software that allows them to understand those questions, where the money's gone, how it's performed and what they can do next. And we are working on that change of the industry of looking at things holistically. The, 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 the next tranche for us is 100% of increasing the security and the tightness of those privacy tools as mentioned. And it's going to be, I think, an equally long journey because every single touch point of every single different publisher, how you get access to data on TV, how you get access to data on, uh, on the social uh, uh, media platform, how right? you're getting it on the OTT, every single, there's 100 different integration points where every single way you're looking at data is different. And so to change the industry, to make it more consumer centric, to make it, to, to do privacy by design in the code base, and to increase best practice of security, so that this is a long term consumer first paradigm where they have the true ability to decide how they want to use their data, what they want to do, can make the can can make that call, and then to have the technological guarantees so that if they're doing that, um, that that we can we can support that and avoid bad actors that. that that's the next frontier for us Re- regarding doing the actual measurement and optimization. I think we've, we've come a long way and we've done, and we've sort of nailed that first tranche. Now it's about privacy. Now it's about putting consumers first. And now it's about integrating all of that into one uh, workflow.
0: That's awesome. And what, uh, what does the future hold for the media and advertising industry? Do you have any predictions?
1: Yeah, I think, um, I, I I think we're gonna yin yang a little bit. I think there's been a lot. Speaking of the personalization and privacy, I I think there's going to be more regulation coming down and more large changes that are going to screw up the foundation of how targeting and how ads are being optimized and retargeting and like you know I was on a website and all of a sudden that like I left and I'm on Facebook and there's my ad or or. Like those 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 sort of dynamics, I think are going to change, and I think it's going to hurt a lot of a lot of um, a lot of uh, advertisers and a lot of publishers. Mm. And I think that you're going to see a lot go under because they are barely breaking even right now. And then as, as as these things go away, so I think you're going to see actually more consolidation. And uh and and I and I think that um that I I eventually think that the the, the politicians will will learn more in the next few years and to kind of come up with their own ideas. But I, I, I don't think it's um, improbable that what's happened with GDPR and CCPA in California becomes more of a federal approach and that will shake up a lot of things. I, I, think, I think another trend is, um, I think there's a large uh, awareness happening regarding um, brands really trying to find a way to get more direct to consumer and try to find insights and own that relationship more directly. And that I think the agencies are evolving more and more to consultancies, and brands are taking and licensing more things in house. And that I think the evolution and the and the and the migration of um, of, of tech-enabled services versus I think what the uh, legacy business models have been. So you know, I think those are some predictions. Yeah,
0: I I think those are right on. Right. I mean, just uh, on the point of uh, building more direct to fan uh, relationships and monetization I mean Patreon reaching unicorn status billion dollar valuation is a hallmark of that right that oh. that you know there's going to be these alternative models and and getting closer links between the content creator and uh, and you know the people that support them is a, is a signal of that I think you're, you're absolutely right about consolidation too I mean as we talked about these platform aggregators Facebook Google Amazon etc have so much power and weight and authority that now you Fox needs to be part of the Disney empire to compete, and Disney needs Fox, right? And then same thing with publishers. You see uh, Refinery Twenty Nine get acquired. You see uh, Pop Sugar picked up by Group Nine. That they just have to get to a different level okay. of scale because yep. that's the only way to remain relevant, uh, you know, amidst the the uh, the bigger players.
1: And the advertisers want it to be easy, you know. I mean, really, that's, that's maybe I think a truth that's not spoken often. It's like people want to leave work earlier. And they want to, you know, get the promotion faster, and they want things to be simpler. They don't want all this jargon crap. Yeah. And so, um, consolidating partners and and great, I can just, you know, you three are together and here, like, yep, thank you. Like, I, I don't want to have to deal with a hundred different buys. Uh, but that's what they want. They may not say that, but that's what they really want.
0: Simplicity. Yeah,
1: exactly. They they, yeah, they they want so They want to. They want to Work less hours, get paid more, and have to do less mental gymnastics.
0: Yep, don't we all? <laughs> That's
1: what they want.
0: Yeah. Well, Ross, one of my favorite questions to ask everyone who comes on the show is, you know, obviously you're six and a half years into this journey with Video Amp. There's more to go, as you've just outlined. But I find that there's a part of the entrepreneurial brain that you just can't turn off. Right? You're constantly thinking about this process, sure. or the next business, and tinkering with this, making that better. You know, if you were starting a, a business in the digital media space today, what would you do? Digital media space? Or just, yeah, anything in general. It doesn't have to be media and entertainment specifically, but it, if you it, have a great startup yeah, idea... Oh, you want to share. It definitely wouldn't be in this industry. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. It'd be, it, 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 it's education. Oh, interesting. Can you elaborate? Yeah, I think, I think
1: the, only, the, the only industry more fucked up than ours is, it, is education, right? I mean, and so I... I Healthcare yeah yeah sure yeah. uh yeah maybe yeah you're right. but uh but yeah i i i really passionate about that mm-hmm. i i did not have a tr- traditional upbringing on education at all mm-hmm. um and that's always you know a very personal topic with mine but i i definitely just can't like it's just so bad i mean it's just the system is it, it, it is for the masses. It's not individualized. It's not personalized. To the person. It's not mm-hmm. trying to actually give them the tools that they need to be successful in, um, in the world, whether it be from a, you know, a happiness level or the tactical skills to get the jobs they need today. I mean, yeah. so much is so much is just, just so inefficient. Um, mm-hmm. Just, just so inefficient. And, you know, I, I think a, a good example would probably be something of, whereas you have a combination of like, I guess you can call online learning with an in-person you know, in, in uh, 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 system. I mean, there's totally benefits for both. But an yeah. a, uh, a example is that I came across a YouTube channel recently that really breaks down traditionally complex math, calculus, linear algebra, differential equations, into like really visual hmm. learning that you can build a natural intuition of complex math, in data science uh, problems that's and cool. if you have intuition and you're looking at it from a visual kind of spatial way mm-hmm. uh, it, it's an entirely different way to think about the sciences versus memorizing formulas and just not understanding what's going on and memorizing formulas doesn't help you solve problems in the world Whereas, like you need to understand what the problem is and create new solutions dynamically and so i think that's a good example of where i think there's been so many issues and why do you need to have a hundred thousand people Teaching linear algebra in the United States, all doing the same work from mm-hmm. like creating a curriculum. Like, how does that make any sense? Why, why a not curriculum? To, a yeah. curriculum
0: that feels a hundred years old and not updated for the twenty-first century, and uh, as you said, kind of catering to the masses, but not in no way personalized or individualized. So everyone is kind of yeah. working towards the lowest common denominator. Yeah, and like. Just get ten of them, and rather than having them do linear algebra plus thirty other things,
1: just have them just do linear algebra for thirty years, and like make the best way to communicate linear algebra, mm-hmm. and then distribute it to everyone in the world. Like, oh, great! Like, I got this. Is that this is definitively A/B tested across fifty million people? These things work really well, and they communicate, yeah. and this is the proper way to optimize for these subjects. Like, it's just so bad. I mean. Yeah. It, yeah, I can go on and on, but I mean, like. Well, not only
0: that, but I think structurally, if you think about the education system, the habits that are built into people is okay. You go to school for at least eighteen years, in many cases much more than that, and people are kind of trained to be like, okay, in middle school, your job is to get good grades, build study habits, so you do well in high school. The whole point of high school is everyone's got their sights focused on getting into a good college, right? So you're you're just focused on going to college, and then in college, people are like, okay, well now what do I do? I can't think for myself. I just you know default to okay now I'm going to go to grad school and spend more time trying to figure out what I want to do rather than there being more paths right how are there there should be more trade schools and paths for people who want those careers there should be um you know apprenticeship programs there should be a path for entrepreneurs who are like hey the traditional education system doesn't work for me and I want to start businesses and I want to learn right there there need to be alternative learning models for different types of people
1: i, I love that and I, and I think i think maybe one other thing to add is and this is probably controversial, but um, <laughs> a lot of people do things for money in this society, right? Like, they, 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 they skip the, like, is it right? Is it capitalism? Like, okay, whatever your thought is, most people, a lot of people today are making decisions with, with money being a very large part of that mm-hmm. pro- of that decision making framework. Um, I know for me, coming from no money, that, 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 you know, trying to pay the bills, like, that that like that has been a huge part of my last sure. 10 years um and some people we'll have don't have that problem they have a the luxury of family money in other ways and trust funds or whatever but like i i didn't i don't have any of that um so uh, so if 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 you if you subscribe to that and you subscribe to another fact which i believe is like back to the a players like truly top talent usually are 10 to 100 times better and more productive than the average person in that field, right? Like mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of studies about this and like in value um, generation engineering, especially like the best software engineer can literally add a hundred times more value than a hundred average ones. And so that's why there's a lot of like, what the like Microsoft and Amazon and Google have been like, we pay them 10 times more than the average person does you know, because they add a hundred times more value and so they're, they're doing it on a value base.
0: Yeah
1: happen with 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 uh, education like why not have the ability to make a million dollars a year in salary as a teacher if you're yeah. creating best content that's distributed and you know you, you and driving that out uh, um, across the world there's, there's I have not met anyone outside of the person who's like I want to go with the education because it's it's what I, I it's meaningful for me yeah. that are going into that and tapping into the probably the 90 percent of the rest of the population who's having money be a large part of why they're not going into education. You, yeah, have, to, exactly. have, to solve, you have to solve that problem.
0: Yep. I okay? agree.
1: And because you, you're not getting the best talent out there and it should be, it, it should be revered. Like it should be such a, like what a meaningful and awesome thing that you're doing with education. Whereas right now I think it's like, oh yeah, like you're a teacher. You're like, oh, uh, good, good for you. But like, let's just be real. Like, you know, people celebrate people and much more in other fields, like going and meeting a, like an actor is like a billion times more rewarded because they're providing, you know, entertainment than actually um, educating our future, which is, which is, it's out of balance.
0: Yeah. We got to, we got to pay the teachers more. We need to find, change the system so that it rewards the best teachers and we can afford to pay them that much. Yeah. I think so. Awesome. Ross, where can people find out more about you and more about video amp?
1: I think just, you know, I, we do a bad job marketing, so I, 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 I don't do any social media and that shit. Yeah. But, uh, you know, look, I, I think follow us on videocamp.com and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, check us out. And uh, but, but I, uh, yeah, usually it's, uh, it's a lot of a lot of be.
0: For sure. Well, hey, man, I love it. Thank you so much for taking the time. I learn something new every time we get to hang out or get a chance to talk. So appreciate you sharing a little bit more about your journey and your story and lessons learned along the way uh, with everyone here on the podcast. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, man. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.